Welcome to this episode of the Anglerfish Podcast. Usually I open up an episode by having a scripted prologue, some sort of written statement or story meant to excite the audience, to get their blood pumping, to get everyone riled up before the episode begins. This episode is a little different. This episode I discuss my work with the Secret Service after I had been arrested, after the Secret Service had hired me to come in as a paid informant and as a consultant on cybercrime and cybersecurity. The problem is, is that with this episode, I want to, I want to make it very clear. Law enforcement does an outstanding job. The gentleman who hired me, the Secret Service, when they hired me, they were outstanding people. They truly were. But some of the actions that took place while I was working there was not. And for me not to talk about those actions, to talk about some of the events that happened, I would be remiss in that. I would be, I would be wrong. So I want to make it clear before we begin this episode that I really believe and I know that law enforcement are good people. I know that the people who, who worked with me meant only the best for me. But mistakes were made. This episode, we're going to discuss some of those mistakes. The Secret Service got you out of jail after letting you stew there for three months, right? Oh, yeah, three months. Okay. They actually hired you. What is that? I mean, what, what do they do? They, they get your driver's license number? <laughs> Which one? <laughs> well, yeah, they got all that. They, they, got, uh, okay. they, got, uh, they wanted passport. They wanted driver's license. Uh, when I came in and started to work for them the first day, they took my picture to make sure that they had a picture, a current picture of me on file in case later on I might be placed on the United States most wanted list as I was. So okay. they did all that stuff. So when, when they got you out of jail, what did they do? Just take you to the desk or no. So I got out, um, I was under $327,000 bond. They had that reduced down to a thousand dollars. My sister paid that thousand dollars. And of course I don't call my sister to thank her. I call Elizabeth to say I'm out, yeah. you know, uh, but uh, they got me out the first night. The agent who got me out, he waited in the parking lot until Elizabeth dropped off some clothes and bugged out. And then he takes me over to the Red Roof Inn in North Charleston and puts me up for the night. He gives right. me some uh, Hardee's or Carl, depending on what part of the country you're in, either Hardee's or Carl's. But he gives me these uh, coupons for free sandwiches. He says, at least you can get something to eat. <laughs> I didn't tell him I had $30 on me because later on I used that $30 to go off and buy a prepaid debit card ah. so I could engage in tax return fraud again. But, uh, yeah, so that was the first, uh, my first uh, real interaction outside of jail with the Secret Service. From there, um, I move in with Elizabeth in her grandmother's home where grandmother had passed away. Secret Service drives down from Columbia, South Carolina to interview me to basically come up and try to talk through ideas of how to track down some of these cyber criminals and build investigations with them and, you know, get my input on that. Now, the, the Secret Service, had they ever done anything like this before specifically? Well, they had they had arrested Albert Gonzalez, Cumba Johnny. So, okay. so they arrested Albert, and Albert had worked for them, and Albert had actually set up the uh, Shadow Crew site and got it busted. He was instrumental in that. And when I say instrumental, he was the one that came up with the idea of how to bust the members on the site, to run a VPN, have all the traffic go through that. that and I say that because it's important to realize that 
law enforcement at that point in time, they really didn't understand the problems of cybercrime that we have or that we were building toward. They didn't really know the, the, the dynamics of the crime, the types of people who were committing it, stuff like that. They, they were just learning. You know, we were learning from, from the bad guy's side on how to commit crime and how to build that structure and everything up. At the same time, law enforcement, they were, they were late to the game. So when they finally entered in, when Shadow Crew goes down and everything like that, they really didn't understand a lot of the problems of cybercrime, which comes into, you know, when I start to work with them. So when I start to work with them, they brought the prosecutor in to talk to me. They, they brought in uh, some officials from Bank of America to talk about their problems of cybersecurity, how they were constantly being breached by this guy in Ukraine that I knew it, uh, they brought them in, they brought ICE officials in, they brought all these other groups in to talk to me so they could get an understanding of how online crime was working, not just financial crime, but you know these other types of identity crimes and stuff like this that was going on. And, and from that aspect, and I, I've said it before, and, and I want to be clear about that, I mean, the guys that were working, uh, Brad, Bobby, even Jim, who was second in charge in South Carolina Secret Service, and, and Neil, they were good men. They were good men. The problem, I think, at that point was they really didn't understand the type of criminals they were dealing with. They, they were trying to, to fit cyber criminals in the same type of mold that drug traffickers were in or counterfeiters were in, the types of people that the Secret Service had been dealing with. So, And, and really, when you're dealing with, I, at least my viewpoint, when you're dealing with a cyber criminal, a lot of us have kind of a degree of Asperger's syndrome. So we get locked on a subject, and we stay on that subject until it's done. You know, we try, we're trying to figure out a specific type of fraud or crime or a hack. We stay on it until it's complete, until we know we've got it down. So I don't think they were used to really working with people like that. And I'm not sure they were really used to dealing with criminals that really buck the trend on authority. So I, I have massive issues with someone telling me what to do. So, of course, when I began work with the Secret no. Service... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Massive issues. I, I, for example, and you know this, Ken. I mean, I'm seeing a marriage counselor. Me and my wife are going to marriage counseling now because this podcast, this Anglerfish podcast, has brought up all these old feelings and thoughts and everything else, and it's my marriage has been suffering because of this. But uh, and we're going to a marriage counselor to to try to, to to make amends and get everything ironed out and it's helping. But I said during our last counseling session, I looked and I was like, you know, honestly, I have some deep seated issues with authority. If you're telling me to do something, the chances of me doing that, eh, <laughs> I'm I'm going to buck it any way I can. You have to learn to listen to your wife or make her think that you're listening well i i and and honestly i'd be better off just listening to her a lot of the time <laughs> yes, you know you're, you're right. so, instead of just doing what i want to do i'd be better off if i just stopped and said yes dear and whatever she wanted just do it but um you know a secret service when i went in working brad i think uh, he was the first i say first agent in charge because it turns out there were two aic's because of some of the stuff that was being done improperly through that 10-month tenure that i was with them but when I first walked in that day, it was um, it was Brad basically treating me like a you know someone who had trafficked in drugs. You know, you got to be hard with them. Got to be hard with them. Well, 
probably not with me because that's going to turn me off immediately and that's that's pretty much what it did uh it was you know if i had my way you all be in prison immediately yeah. i wouldn't get that you think you're going to get off no i'd still send your ass to prison you know that that cub of johnny he got off he didn't get any prison time i was against that i'd make sure he got some time so of course that puts a bad taste in my mouth immediately and i'm like oh i'm dealing with an asshole here well, yeah, he, he could be an asshole. It turned out that he was a pretty good guy. I mean, he he, he wanted to do good. And that's, that's the thing that people have to remember about law enforcement today. Law enforcement, they make a lot of mistakes. Even today, they make a lot of mistakes. But at the end of the day, they're not out there being cops because of ego and because they can beat people up or, or show authority and all this other stuff. They're out there being cops because they believe in doing the right thing and they want to help people. It took me 40 years to get to that understanding <laughs> of realizing that. But back then, I didn't understand that. So, you know, that that was initially out of the gate the first day I started was that was the the way things were defined for me. You know, you're a criminal. You're here to help us. You're not part of the investigation. You're You're just a criminal that's showing us some stuff. Do what we tell you to do. So I started that type of approach is, is what they took toward me. So immediately I'm combative, but I, you know, I'm smart enough. I'm not like the, the usual, you know, rogue that they've got in that, that back talks immediately out of the gate. No, I'm already this established social engineer. So I know that it's in my best interest. I'll just keep my damn mouth shut and we'll see how this works out. So I'm like playing the ball game and everything else. As I pointed out before, they've got me set up in the, in basically their, their kind of forensics room on the walls, a 50-inch plasma monitor is hooked up to a laptop. I'm on the laptop with an outside line. Next to me, they're sitting there with a desktop computer hooked up to an outside line as well. And the idea is, is that I'm going to walk through the forums and these marketplaces and everything else and build, help them build investigations, help them track people down, explain the crimes to them as they're happening, explain who the players are, their relationships, everything else. So they all, they all learn this as we go along. Now, they've got two programs they're using on my laptop to record everything. They've got Camtasia, which takes a snapshot of the screen every five seconds. Then they've got Spectre Pro, which logs all the keystrokes that, that I put into the laptop. So it records every single thing that I write down. And of a night, once the investigation is over for that, that evening, all that information is burnt onto a DVD-ROM and put on a spindle, is what happens. So, and I've, I've pointed out this before, the first few weeks, everything's fine, man. You know, it, everything's going just kosher. They're asking questions, everything else. But as would happen with anybody, if you stare at a screen long enough, your ass is going to get bored. Mm -hmm. So in the room with me are usually two, two Secret Service agents. One of them is usually either Brad or Bobby. And usually a South Carolina law enforcement official, SLED is what they call them, South Carolina Law Enforcement Division. So those people are in the room supposed to be at the, same, at the entire time, and they're watching everything that I do, asking questions. They're on their desktop computer building up profiles of their own and, and trying to seek out investigations at the same time. And I worked anywhere from four to six hours a day, so not, not a huge amount of time. All right. So the first, like I said, usually about, about two weeks, Everything was just bam, 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 asking questions, everything else like that. What happens is they get bored. And again, I understand that because at the same time, they've got, they've got a room across the way that they're dealing with all these pedophiles. 
So that's where the, the pedophile tracking center, whatever they called it at that point in time, was so that during the day they were working pedophile cases. Then of an evening they would come over and work my case. So they get tired looking at a computer screen after a while. So what do they start doing? Well, there was a site called flashyourrack.com. I bet you can guess what it was. <laughs> it wasn't about deer hunting, was it? It was not showing deer racks. It was not. What it was is it was these amateur women who would show their breasts and take snapshots of it, and then you would rank them on a scale of 1 to 10. So their work, after about two weeks, consisted a lot of it going to this site Watching that. Now, it wasn't just porn. I point out porn. All right. But there were also these, you've seen the, uh, I, I forgot the name of the site at the time, but it was uh, a site that showed, you know, basically the funniest home videos. Right. For the internet. All the stunts, the jackass stunts, all that stuff. So it was either going between that or watching porn, <laughs> flashing, women flashing their breasts. Which I have to say, you know, they weren't the only ones doing that. I would often peer over and help them rank the women or watch the videos and comment on the videos of the stunts and everything else that was going on. So I took part of that, too. All right, I'm, I'm not going to say I didn't. But uh, that that went on. That, that's basically what started was a lot of, I don't know if you'd call it bullshit or whatever, but it was, you know, we have to have, and I guess that's an outlet for the type of work that you're doing. At that point in time, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm trying. Can I am trying. I'm trying to talk about to talk about some of the misdeeds of the Secret Service, while not disparaging law enforcement, is what I'm trying to do. Let's look at it this way. <laughs> By you taking part in, you know, flashing the rack. Yeah. ratings uh, you were social engineering at the same time and didn't oh, even yeah. realize it you were finding a common bond absolutely with these guys that i would use later on that to you, manipulate them right absolutely and that's that's one of the problems right is is you get so you've got you've got law enforcement officials in there they're human beings they are human beings they yep. they they they, ha they are susceptible to the same types of social engineering that any victim would be susceptible to. So when you open up that door, that door being watching those videos, whether they be stunt videos or women naked or what have you, and later on it, it turned to actual porn, but when you're watching that kind of stuff, what you're doing is you're giving me an avenue to manipulate you. I, all of a sudden I see a chink in that law enforcement armor, whereas if you had been following policy the entire time, as you were supposed to do, I would have never seen that chink. It would have been much harder for me to gain entry into manipulating you later on as I would do. All right. Now, that being said, I, again, it's, it's important to me that, it, that I make it clear that I support law enforcement 100%. That I believe in what they do. That I believe that, they, that they're there to do a good job and to help people. Even those agents who weren't following policy, they were good men. The problem was is they were human beings at the same time. So you can't always follow policy. And you, you were not conscious initially 
that you were social engineering. No, I, it's, no social engineering it's is not never a conscious decision. You, you don't sit back and say, <laughs> okay, if I do this, it's like moving on a chessboard. Okay, if I say this or do this, they're going to act like this. But if I do this too, I wonder how. No, you, no it's, it's never that, like that. No, I mean, never, it's, never it's like so that. ingrained in me that it starts out immediately. You know, you're just doing it. You're just bam, 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 bam. Yep. You know, yeah, I, they, they started doing that. I didn't consciously realize that that was a chink in the armor. But that's exactly what it was. It, it, it allowed me an entry into becoming closer personally to these people so that when the moment came that I might need to manipulate them, I would automatically just flip into that and be able to use that chink against them. Whereas if they would have followed policy, and that's the problem with social engineering, right? Whether you're law enforcement or a company, if you're following policy, those chinks don't tend to appear. When I social engineer a company or a person, I'm relying on someone not following policy of that company. I'm trying to convince the person not to follow the policy. So if you're if you're coming out of the gate not following that policy to begin with, I don't even have to worry about that step. That's done for me. So of course that that was the problem. If all of a sudden you get agents that need that mental break and if you're working with a company i don't care who you are and i talk about this in in presentations all the time if you're working for a company that eight hours or ten hours you're at that company you're not at that company mentally that entire eight or ten hour span you need a mental break at some point you have to have it well that mental break is where people like me come in and take advantage of people you know, if you're not if you're not concentrating, if you're surfing other sites that you're not supposed to be surfing at a company or at a law enforcement office, that allows me, an attacker, to come in and start manipulating. And Lord help you if that attacker is actually in the same office with you at the same time. So that's exactly what we saw is the porn starts happening. And of course that's I understand you know, back then I didn't understand it because I hadn't been raised by men. I'd been raised by my mom. So I didn't have that that rapport that men have of that bullshit mentality. Oh, we're going to get together and work. And we'll bullshit together all. Yeah, I didn't understand that. But that's basically what it was. You know, they were all bullshitting with each other, and I was kind of invited into that little circle after a while. And it made and you allowed, feel important. Yeah, I'm part. I'm part of the investigation. Yes. You know, I'm part of this crew all of a sudden. But I was never really allowed to forget that. No, you're not part of this. Every now and then, if I thought I was. You know, Neil would come down or Jim would come down. and You're not part of this. You are a criminal. That's what I'd be told. You are a criminal. And you are going to prison after this. Don't forget that. You know, never forget your place. Well, when I'm told stuff like that, never forget my place. Buddy, I tell you what, don't worry about it. I won't forget my place. And after a while, after I notice they're not really paying attention to me, well, that means, okay, you want me to follow like a dog. I'll show you what a dog will actually do. And I started breaking the law from inside the offices with them in the same room as me. And that's the way that game actually plays out. So I didn't, uh, I was engaged in identity, identity theft, tax return fraud, uh, credit card fraud, everything else. And while I didn't actually file taxes from inside the offices or do credit card orders from inside of the offices, I did get all the information that I needed to commit those crimes from inside of those offices with the Secret Service agents in the same room as I was at the same time, usually within four feet from me. So how did you record this information that you collected while you were there <laughs> well, without them you know, seeing you didn't have a thumb drive? I did not have a thumb drive, but I had many email accounts. 
I had so many email accounts that it was hard for them to keep track of which email accounts that I had. So I knew that the information that they were recording, since they weren't watching me, they were busy watching videos online a lot of the times or bullshitting with each other. Since they weren't physically watching me, all of that data was being recorded to a CD or a DVD-ROM. It, it took me all of about four days to figure out, you know, that's so much damn, damn information, so much video content, they're not going to sit down and go through it. Right. What they're going to do is whoever they build a case against, they're going to hand them a whole spindle of DVDs saying, here's your, <laughs> here's your case, you go through it yourself. You find out what's important. All right. And I was like, okay, I don't have to worry about that. So I can pretty much do whatever the hell I want to. So what I would do is I would run email addresses that were meant for uh, the investigation. Then I would have my own email address too, and I would just, any information that I was gathering, I'd just throw that information over to my own email box at the same time, and they would never know about it. And that's exactly what I did. So, you know, uh, for amounts for tax files, for uh, credit card purchases, who to go through, stuff like that, I would, I would build cases against these people, but at the same time, I would use that information that I was learning to help me commit crime as well. Gotcha. And that's the way that happened. So that's, that's, that's part of it. You know what? Uh, everything continued that way for a few months until, and I, I, I don't know if I've mentioned this to you or not, but we were hacked. We were actually hacked. The Secret Service offices was hacked. And what do you mean by hack? Cause so that's... what I mean by that is I go to work one day. And like I said, I was working four to six hours. I go to work one day, and as I'm sitting down with the computer, 4 p.m., I had a burner cell phone, one of these flip phones, prepaid flip phone. Uh, it was on um, whatever the Walmart thing was that offered prepay at that point in time. Track phone was what it was. So I had a track phone, and as I'm ready to, as I'm booting up my computer to begin work that day, that track phone starts ringing, and it never rings. That phone is only for me to call people if I want to call and, and try to have a conversation with another criminal or order stuff or stuff like that. So it starts ringing. First time it's ever rang. And I'm like, what the hell is that? Well, the agents are like, are you going to answer that? And I'm like, do I need to? <laughs> and they're like, yeah, answer it. See what's going on. So I answer it. And someone on the other end of the line is using TTY or TYY or whatever that is to communicate with me. So they don't have their real voice. They're shielding their voice to send me a message. And that message is, I know who you are, Brett Johnson. You're Gollum Fun. And Interesting. I'm to, and I'm going to tell the world. Not only do I know who you are, but I know that you're engaged to a stripper who works as, who did work as a prostitute, addicted to coke and everything else. And I'm sitting there listening to this like and the the anxiety that I felt on that. I had never been outed before online or that nowadays they call it doxed i'd never been doxed before so i'm sitting there going what the hell basically my main worry at that point was elizabeth because again i'm doing all of this bullshit for elizabeth i don't give a shit about anybody online i'll set up every son of a bitch in the world and send them to prison as long as i can get with elizabeth i'll turn in everybody i'll snitch on everyone i don't care as long as I can salvage that relationship with Elizabeth. I'll yeah. break every law on the planet as long as I can be with her. So here's this guy telling me I know 
who she is. He even says her name. I know who she is, and I'm going to post it. Well, I don't want that posted. I don't want her life ruined because I know what will happen at that point. So I'm scared to death. The agents, meantime, are like, what the hell? You know, they're listening in on this and everything else. That call lasted maybe, it felt like it lasted an hour. It may have lasted five minutes. Guy hangs up. I go to log in the computer. He has compromised my email accounts. He's taken over the email accounts. That's where he's gotten the information about Elizabeth, got my real name, everything else is from the email. So I know he's got the accounts. To get the accounts, he's had to get access to the login credentials. Like sitting, ABC123? That's it. Okay. And I knew at that point in time, I was like, keylogger on the system. Somehow we've got a keylogger that he's installed, and he's recording the keystrokes. So I look over, Brad and Bobby are in the room. I look over, and I'm like, hey, keylogger on the system, we need to take care of this now. Their response is, get in the fucking car. I'm like, what are you talking about? Get in the car. We're going to your apartment right now. I'm like, okay. So they had thought that I had Elizabeth at the apartment because she had moved up there with me to work with the Secret Service. She was staying in the apartment. They thought I had Elizabeth on a laptop and that she was the person that was doing all this stuff. So we drive over there. Elizabeth is sitting on the couch watching some damn reality show, Project Runway or some bullshit like that. <laughs> and, and that's yeah I, I to this day i hate reality shows <laughs> i get this i get this this kind of itch in the back of my neck that kind of makes me almost you know murderous <laughs> so i can't stand them at all so she's sitting there watching a reality show the two agents we walk in and she's like what <laughs> so they do a thorough search of the apartment can't find anything come back out and they're like, what the hell is going on? I'm like, I don't know what's going on. The only thing I know is we need to format that fucking laptop. And they're like, come back to work tomorrow. Your day's done. I'm like, all right. Go to work the next day. Walk in. Same words out of my mouth. We need to format this laptop. Answer was, we're not formatting anything. We need to find out who this individual is. So how long did it take for them to realize that a keylogger was on the system. About 45 days. <laughs> About 45 days. During that 45 days, they do, uh, at least I'm told, that they finally get this guy's identity and figure out that he's in Chicago, Illinois. Now, whether that's true or not, I don't know. My opinion is that that attacker was this guy named Max Butler that I've talked about in the past. Right. All right, but in the interim... And I'm going to call it as Max. I'm going to say it's Max. In the interim, what Max does is he posts that information online. He doesn't post my name. He doesn't do that. But he posts Elizabeth's name. He posts those emails that I, where I was talking about her having drug problems and being a prostitute and everything else. He posts all that. He takes over my e-gold account, steals the money out of there, proceeds to compromised a couple of other email accounts where I had actually used one of them to email this guy named Paul who worked for the Secret Service because Paul was, was watching over me one day and he was like, just send that information over to my email address. And I was like, what email address? And he's like, and he gives the email address at USSS.gov. <laughs> so I sent that over and of course Max later that day gets me on ICQ and he's like, why are you emailing the Secret Service? 
And I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? And then he copies the email over to me in ICQ, and I'm like, yep. So, of course, Brad's there by that point. He's like, why are you emailing out of that computer to the Secret Service? And I was like, because I was told to by your guy. So that continues for 45 days until one day I walk in. Brad and Bobby's there, and they <laughs> were sitting there, and they're like, uh, you know, we probably want to format that computer today. <laughs> I was like, yeah. It's like, yeah, we think there's a we think there's a keylogger on the system. <laughs> and I'm like, I, it got me so bad, I'm like, you think? <laughs> and they're like, yeah, we've we figured out there's probably a keylogger on it. And I was like, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. But day one, day one, I told you there was a keylogger on that fucking system. And they're like, Brett, this is just the way it has to be, man. And now, looking back now. All right. At that time, my mindset at that time was, uh, you know, you guys are, you don't care. You're just, you're fucking with me. You know, you, you, you've not listened to any single thing that I've said at all. You're just doing this stuff. And, and looking back now, what I, my opinion now is that they needed to keep that logger, maybe, and I'm trying to justify this, that they needed to keep the logger on the system in order to build up an investigation against this individual. Now, if it was Max Butler, they never used any of that information against him at all. At all. Mm. Uh, as far as I know, they never arrested the individual. If it was not Max Butler, they never made an arrest of whoever this individual may have been. All right? So I don't know what to say about that. Um, I know that, that mentally, mentally, it turned out to be part of the reason of why I broke up with Elizabeth, you know, there, and we'll talk about that actual breakup in a later episode, but that was actually part of it, of having her information out there, knowing that, that her association with me, once it came out that I was a snitch as it was going to come out, that her association with me would have, would have been really damaging to her life. Endangered her yeah. life. Yeah. So, uh, that was two of three of the, the, the what I consider the big things that was really mishandled in the Secret Service when I was working for them. And again, again, I think we have to talk about this, and I'm, I'm, I don't want this to try to uh, disparage law enforcement overall. I think that, that what was going on is there were mistakes made. And we have to, I, I, I have to talk about these mistakes. I don't really want to, but uh, they have to be mentioned. Have to be. Which brings us to... The big one, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police investigation. I'm driving home one night after work. It's, you know, 8 o'clock at night. And my apartment where I was was about three miles away from the Secret Service field office in Columbia, South Carolina. So I get about halfway back to the apartment, and my phone rings, and it's Brad. I pick up the phone, and I'm like, yeah, what do you need? Because I'm thinking maybe I need to turn back around, some shit like that. Brad's on the phone. He's like, uh, there's a site that we've been visiting that has a keylogger on it. And I'm like, what site? He's like, it's lacosanostra.com. I'm like, Lacosa Nostra has a keylogger on it. He's like, yep. I was like, uh, okay. Now, to backtrack here, Lacosa Nostra, there were, after, after Shadow Crew was shut down and, and a couple of these other sites was shut down, 
there was a, an explosion of these smaller forums and websites, all of them vying to take the number one position of who was going to be the leader of organized cybercrime forums and marketplaces. So there was Scandinavian carting, there was Carter's Market, there was uh, the Grifters, and there was this new one called La Cosa Nostra. And it, the guy who had the domain, he spelt it wrong. He left out the T, all right? <laughs> so it's La Cosa Nostra, not La Costa Nostra. It's La Cosa Nostra. So he sets it up, and it was a good-looking site. The guy who built the site knew what he was doing, and it was quickly gaining a lot of members and a lot of traffic. So Brad calls me. La Cosa Nostra has a keylogger on it. My first question out of the gate, who owns the site? His answer, literally, to quote, none of your goddamn business. My response, other than just being a little pissed off being told that, my response was, okay, I'll handle it when I come into work tomorrow. He's like, get here early. I'm like, all right. So I go home. Next day, show up at the office. Instead of showing up at 4 o'clock, I'm there, you know, 3.15, 3.30. Waiting in the waiting room. No one's coming to get me. So it's a small little waiting area before they buzz you in through the big metal door and you go back in there to work. Well, usually I'm buzzed in immediately and I just go right on down. Today, no. Today I'm sitting there. And I'm sitting there for like 15 minutes. I'm like, okay, something's going on. Finally, Bobby, he comes out. He's like, yeah, Brett, we need to we need to talk about this. And I was like, Bobby, I said, honestly, man, I need to know who owns that website. Who's got the keylogger on there? What's going on? Is that what's going on with it? He's like, man, he said, I'll go back and ask Brad. So he disappears in the back, evidently walks back to the back and asks Brad. Johnson wants to know who runs La Cosa Nostra because I hear Brad scream at the top of his lungs so that I can hear him. Brad screams, tell him it's none of his goddamn business. So I'm like, okay. <laughs> so they both come and get me, lead me down to the big war room where I've got my laptop and they've got their outside line and I don't get on my laptop. They sit me down and we're talking about La Costa Nostra. Well, what do you think about that, Brett? And I was like, well, I don't think it's good. They were like, well, yeah, it's no good. I'm like, well, guys, what do you want me to do about that? And Brad looks at me and he was like, well, what would you do if you ran across a site that had a keylogger on it like that? And I was like, well, I'd shut its ass down. Brad kind of nods a little bit and he's like, well, why don't you do what you usually do then? I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so here's what happens. Now, Throughout this entire investigation, we're like six months into it at this point. Throughout this entire investigation, either Brad or Bobby has been in that friggin' room with me the entire time. Today, not so much. Today, both Brad and Bobby are not in the room. Instead, this other Secret Service agent who rarely shows up, he's in there watching over me. And he's the only one. All right? So he's in there, and he's in there for the next day or so. Because what I do, and this is not Brett Johnson hacking. This is Brett Johnson showing his skill at just pulling fucking information out of the, out of the woods, is what this is. And that, that was one of my fortes right there. I knew how to do that. 
So what I do, and I had connections out to Wazoo and everything else, I'm using the Gollum Fund name, so that comes with weight like no one's ever seen before on that in that in that environment. So I start asking questions. I start, who runs the site? Who owns that site right now? And it comes back connected to this Canadian kid. I forgot his name. Yeah, I forgot what his screen name actually was. But uh, I start asking around. It comes back. Enough people are telling me, well, this this kid owns it. This you know, he's in his early twenties. I'm like, okay. Finally, someone tells me, well, yeah, he owns the site, but what's weird is he was actually busted a few months back. I'm like, what do you mean he was busted? Well, he was not only busted, but his ass was in prison. How do you know he was in prison? I know he was in prison because I know him personally. <laughs> Wait a minute. You you know this guy personally. He's in pri- He was in prison, and now he's running a website. Yeah, man, they locked his ass up. You got any information on that? Yeah, man, I got information on that. His, his, it's, here's the news article where he was arrested and sentenced. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You, you got a news article where he was arrested and sentenced. Why don't you send that over to me? So they send it over, and I keep talking, pulling all the information up, find, find some court records, everything else of everything that's going on. Meanwhile... Nobody's asking me anything at Secret Service offices. I'm just doing me. So it happens so fast that I, I maybe maybe they didn't understand how quickly I could actually do something like that. But in the space of that four hours and then the next day another two hours, that website is done. I post all this in a nice write-up with the Gollum Fund name attached to it. Another 24, 48 hours after that, the website vanishes the kid is back in prison. Washington calls down, Washington calls down to the Secret Service field office in Columbia, South Carolina, basically saying, hey, what the fuck is your monkey doing over there? How do I know that? Because both Brad and Bobby come in saying, hey, Washington wants to know what the fuck our monkey is doing down here. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm like, what? And they're, they're like, look. And you could tell they're nervous at this point. They're like, look, Washington is flying down this week. This was like on a Wednesday. Washington's flying down Friday. I'm like, okay. Because I'm not, I'm like, fuck it. Let them fly. I don't care. And they're like, no, 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 no. Washington is flying down because this was a Royal Canadian Mounted Police investigation that just got shut down. Canada called Washington. Washington's calling us. They want to know what the hell their monkey's doing. So I'm like, and? Brad's like, well, here's the deal. Do you want to stay out of prison? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> He's like, well, if you want to stay out of prison, my advice is not to say that we told you to do anything. I'm like, yeah. He's like, my advice. <laughs> so I'm like, okay. So Friday, Washington flies in. I'm supposed to show up at noon. I do. I sit in that damn waiting room again. For not one hour, but like an hour and a half, two hours. While Brad, Bobby, Jim, Neil talks to the Washington guys that have flown in about what's happened. Me, I'm supposed to go in and basically say, I didn't know what I was doing. I This is what I usually do. I did. That's just me. So finally, after about two hours, they call me in. Two Washington guys have flown in. They never ask me a thing. They never ask a question 
about the Canadian La Cosa Nostra site being shut down. Not one question. <laughs> Two guys come in. Uh, one guy asked me, he was like, uh, the first guy... And you can always tell. If two guys fly in, if you got two law enforcement officials, the one that first talks is not the guy who's in charge. It's the other guy, the quiet one. <laughs> so, as they're walking me back, and this is when I find out that, that the Columbia Field Office had no idea who the hell Brett Johnson was in the cybercrime world. Not until that day. So, as they're escorting me back to these Washington guys, Brad and Bobby, they're like, uh, we didn't know who you were. I was like, what? We didn't really know the status that you had in cybercrime until today. And I was like, how could you not know? I told you who I was. And they're like, we didn't really believe that. <clears throat> I'm like, yeah. okay. So I get back there talking to these, these two Washington guys, and everybody's crowded around a table. First Washington guy, he's like, he asked me about... Uh, how the cybercrime stuff works and ask me my story. And I'm telling him that. And he finally says, he said, do you remember a name, uh, Robert Sukosh? And I'm like, no. And he's like, think about it. Robert Sukosh. And I was like, and I'm sitting there for like five minutes thinking about this. And I was like, man, it sounds familiar. I was like, it's probably a victim of mine. I don't know. And he's like, uh, yeah, that's an ID that, uh, that boa sent to you that you used about two years ago and i was like it is an id <laughs> it was a texas driver's license that one of these guys had sent to me for me to use with uh, with credit cards that i that i'd used across several states i was like and well about that time this other guy the other the head washington guy he pops up starts talking he's like well brad he said first let me explain that that you have no idea how thankful we are that you are on our side. We really appreciate it. I'm sitting there going, guys, you have no idea. No idea. I'm not on your side. I'm on my side. Because by this point, I'm like, this is not going to end well for Brett. I knew at this point that I'm going to prison at some point. You know, I've been screwing around too much. It's becoming more and more, I'm more and more aware that, uh, that they're going to find out what I've been doing. And it's like that thought you had when you first realized I've been using the name Brett Johnson too much. I need another yeah. ID. Yeah, yeah. That, at this point, I'm like, okay, I've been breaking the law from inside of the offices for a half year. This is not going to end well. You know, I know that it's going to go south. So I'm sitting there. This guy's telling me how much he appreciates me working for him. I'm sitting there thinking, yeah, yeah, this is. You can say whatever you want to. This is not. This is not good. And then he then he, then he looks at me. He's like, uh, Brett, why? Uh, you know, we're looking at at the the people you're targeting. And the cases that, that these two guys are building right now, why aren't there any Ukrainian names on that list? Well, the reason why there weren't any Ukrainian names on the list is because before Shadow Crew got shut down by the Secret Service, Script had came online. Script is Dmitry Golubov. He ran Carter Planet. He came online and he posted pictures of a guy that he said owed him money. And the pictures were of them kidnapping the guy and then torturing the guy. And the message was, don't steal from me. So that left an image in my mind of not only don't steal from them, but you might not want to fuck around with the Ukrainians. <laughs> <laughs> so when the investigation started, I don't mind a bit targeting any American or any other country you want me to target. 
But as far as messing with those Ukrainian guys that are hooked in with the Russian mafia, I think I'm going to leave that alone. Of course, I did not tell this agent that. I told this agent, you know, I'm trying. I'm trying. It's just, they're yeah. good, man. <laughs> they're good. His response was, well, you know, let's let's look at, you know, try to get some of these Ukrainians rounded up. I was like, yes, sir, we'll do whatever we can. And that was the entire interview that day. Now, I go back. What what actually happens is is that Brad, at that point in time, was the agent in charge. The, the AIC is what they call him. Brad lost that. The new AIC became Bobby at that point. Now, later on, and I've, I've discussed this before, later on when everything goes really south, when my bond gets revoked and I go back to jail and before I go on the run and everything, Bobby and Brad go to search my apartment. And at that moment, you know, you've discussed this idea of social engineering not being a conscious thing. And that's right, it's not. But at that moment is where all that social engineering, that, that subconscious social engineering that I was doing, when they actually go to search my apartment that night when everything went south, is when I decided that that's when the manipulation took place. That's where that, that key moment that I needed every bit of social engineering that I'd been doing to work. And it did. Instead of them searching the apartment, they did a kind of a cursory look over and took my word at everything because they thought they were my friends. And they would have been if I would have allowed that. But uh, at that moment, I manipulated them enough that they ended up losing their jobs because of that night of them searching. And that was what happened. Thank you for listening to this episode of Anglerfish. I appreciate it. If you like it, please subscribe and drop me a line saying hello. Hello is always good. You can reach me direct at brettjohnson at anglerfish.com. That's brett, B-R-E-T-T, Johnson, J-O-H-N-S-O-N, at anglerfish, A-N-G-L-E-R-P-H-I-S-H.com. Please tell your friends about us, rate and review the Anglerfish podcast wherever you can. In the next few weeks, we'll be launching Season 2 of Anglerfish, which will examine the darkest corners of our online lives and what you need to do to remain safe. Please email me questions, comments, concerns, personal stories, and any topics you might like to hear discussed. That's brettjohnson at anglerfish.com. Until next time, I'm your host, Brett Johnson. Stay safe, stay secure, and stay vigilant.